0: Church, this past week we had the, uh, the misfortune of witnessing another violent, unnecessary, brutal moment between law enforcement and a black man named Jacob Blake. Uh, particular import in this moment is it was in the eye line and in the presence of his three young children. Now, as I've talked with Pastor Brett about moments like these, we doubt that this is going to be the last time that we have to talk about it from this stage. We're believing God that it is. We are desiring and praying regularly that it is, but we know the condition of man's heart and we doubt that it's the last time that we have to talk about it, but I hope that doesn't mean you become used to it. This is not normal. This is not okay. This is not something we should be comfortable with. This is not something that we should get used to excusing or, or, or putting out of our sight and out of our mind. This man, Jacob... Brianna, Philando, Mike, George. They're dignified image bearers of the God of the universe. In Genesis 1, when God created mankind, he says, let us make them in our image, in our likeness, and male and female, he created them. It wasn't white male and white female that he created them. It was in his image that he created them. Which means that the lives of these black men and women have inestimable worth and value to God. In other words, they matter deeply. And my prayer for us as a church is that our response in these moments is a response that Jesus had, it's compassion and it's mercy. Because our role as the church remains the same. We are representatives of the kingdom of heaven. And that is how we are to respond as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to say first to all you online and all you in the room I'm I'm very sorry that this keeps happening I want you to know that it grieves me as much as it grieves you and that I know it grieves God because these are his sons and daughters as well I want you to be motivated to respond with compassion and in your grief turn to God but I want you to know and remember That we, the church, the church of Jesus Christ, can have hope in every situation because we know the thing that turns a man's stone heart to flesh is what but the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel 36, 26. I will put my spirit within you, and I will take from you your heart of stone, and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. So as we go, just remember, I am proud that I am a part of a church and a congregation that makes inroads to our local police department. We have senior members of our church involved in the policy review boards of Fairfax County. Proud to be a part of a church that knows that policy change does not change hearts. And so we pray, every Tuesday in June, we had prayer rally right outside here. Asking God to heal the breaches in our lands. And we did that with congregations all across Northern Virginia. I'm proud to be a part of a, of a church that goes to Sully Plantation and repents on behalf of a nation. I don't know if the nation was forgive, feeling forgiveness or not, but we repented on their behalf, believing God to break the generational curse and bondage that so many of us walk in, that God would heal the racial trauma that so many have suffered. I'm proud to be a part of a church that is training up leaders to have conversations around racial reconciliation in the context of sports small groups. I'm proud to be a part of a church that supports protests and marches with the aim of restoring peop- one person to another. And I hope that you are proud to be a part of that church as well and to be under leadership who take this seriously and desire it greatly. So if you will, would you pray with me? I want to pray for Jacob Blake and for his recovery, for his children, for his family and our community, that God would do what only God can do. Father God, Lord, we love you. We come here looking to you, Father, to reach in and touch the hard, stony places of our nation's hearts, God, of our hearts, that you would open our eyes to what is within us, pride, anger, apathy, deep hurt. And Jesus, would you bring the healing touch, God, that only you can bring to us, Father? We pray for Jacob Blake, God, that that this paralysis would be temporary, Father. We thank you that his life has been spared, but Lord, we pray for even more for that, that your hand would be on his life, God, that he would walk yet again. Father, we lift up his small children to you, Father, that the trauma of this moment would be healed by the grace and the love and the compassion of the local church, pointing them to a Savior who died on their behalf that they might have life and life abundant, Father. We pray for his family, for our community, for our nation, God, that you would do what only you can do, repair the breaches within our hearts, within our nation, that you would pour out your spirit on us, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank God? Just, I just, <clears throat> I don't want to take away from this moment, but what I'm saying, what I'm, excited about in moments like this where we're navigating difficulty, I love that we get to do it together. I love that we don't have to do it alone. And this is going to be the theme of today is how we do these things together, how we're not called to go alone. In fact, we shouldn't go alone. God never made us to go alone. And so it is small group Sunday. I am the small group's pastor. My name is AJ. I'm so, uh, it's awesome to see you guys in the room. I haven't preached to people in like six or seven months. Uh, If you're joining us online, it's so wonderful to see you guys out there. Um, Is anybody in the room in a small group? Okay, just like, like, like this, They're, you know, they can't see you, so they can't see you. I see a whole row of young adults right here. That looks like a small group to me. Hey, if you're watching online, could you throw your group in the chat and just create some buzz? Small group leaders have been bugging me for weeks about, can, can we promote our groups in the chat? Can we throw stuff in there? I said, no, the group, chat is not about small group. The chat is about Jesus. But now is your time. You've got, you're on the clock. You've got 10 seconds. Throw it in, throw it in, throw it in. God is good. God is good. (laughs) A couple weeks ago, Pastor Jim preached a message of four questions and he had a sub bullet that I wish was the whole, I wish he preached the whole sermon on this from season to a shift. You guys remember that word? I believe that that word is, is true and valid. I believe for us, the church, we are in a shift, but I think for us, we're in a shift. We're in a shift backwards. We're going back to go forward. We've got to go back to what we were because what what we have become isn't what we can be anymore. I mean, this room feels full, which tells you how empty it has been for weeks. But I believe that we are in a shift. I believe that our community is more important than ever. And so I believe that we've got to look at what makes the church the church. Where do we come from? Because you can learn a lot about who you are if you know where you came from. My parents and my in-laws, a couple years ago, I think it's their generation. You guys will have to help me figure out if this is true or not. They got super deep into Ancestry.com. Does anybody love like Ancestry.com? See, it's a, it's, a, it's a young crowd in here today, so, so I didn't see very many people. <laughs> okay. Um, they got super deep into Ancestry.com, and they started making lineages and, 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 and uh, family trees, and, and I've got a whole packet in my bookcase downstairs of my whole family tree back generations and generations. I just will be honest with you, was never really that interested in that. It was, I mean, I honor my ancestors and my family, but I just wasn't really didn't really do much for me. I wasn't really fascinated with that. And uh, Michelle was the same. Michelle's my wife. And until a couple weeks ago, Michelle got the password to her parents' Ancestry.com account. She wanted to look something up. And here's the thing that you've got to know about my household. Um, We have two small children. Uh, We have a third on the way. And my wife is tired. (laughs) Um, So she goes to bed early. As soon as she can, she goes to bed, which is great. And, And I support that. I think that's great. But... Uh, I, my only alone time is like between 9.30 and, and 10.30 at night. That's when everyone's asleep, everything's put away, everything's done. It's the only time I have to myself. So to be honest, if you ever need me, just go ahead and text me at like 9.30. I'm probably free. I'm probably having a bowl of cereal at my kitchen table. Um, so I stay up late is what I'm trying to say. I'm the one who stays up late. I'm the night out in our household. And uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife gets her parents, Ancestry.com, login. And she is like... Sherlock Holmes on a laptop for like three straight hours is just like sleuthing away, making connections, texting her sisters, texting her family, pulling things together. She's got like 10 tabs open, a notebook of paper. And I'm like, are are you going to bed? Because... Like, I'm tired now. Like, I have reached my limit. She's like, just go, just go, just go. So I go upstairs. I'm confused. I go to bed. My wife is downstairs. My wife is never downstairs. You guys, you don't understand how bizarre this is to me. But here's the thing. Why does she do that? Because you can learn a lot about who you are when you know where you came from. Where as a church are in a shift, I think we've got to go backwards to go forwards. So I want to look at the early church. i want to look at the church of Acts 2. This is the church that, that Jesus has been murdered on a cross. He was buried three days in a tomb. He rose again back to life, appeared to many, walked with the disciples and the apostles. He told them, go wait in Jerusalem for me, for one far greater than me is coming. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, go and wait in Jerusalem. And then Jesus ascends up to heaven. And the disciples are gathering in the upper rooms in Jerusalem because they were under persecution. This man that they had their faith and their trust and their hope in was, was, was gone. And he told them to wait. And so they're waiting. And we have Acts 2 at the start of it. We see the day of Pentecost. We see tongues of fire. And what is amazing about this, what I love about this, uh, in the Old Testament, we see a pillar of fire as representative of of the presence and the spirit of God. The Israelites were led through the desert at night by what? A pillar of fire. A fire. We see uh, uh, God's coming to speak to Moses on a burning bush engulfed in in fire. We would see symbolically over the over the tabernacle a pillar of fire representing God's presence in a holy place. And we come to the day of Pentecost and now we see individual tongues of fire over every believer because this this idea of one holy place has become shattered as Jesus tore the veil between us and him. This idea that God's presence and spirit now resides in every single one of us, individual tongues of fire over all of us. It's this beautiful picture of what the church with the followers of Jesus are becoming in him, filled by the Holy Spirit. So we've got Peter and the apostles and they become begin preaching this word, signs, wonders, miracles. They're armed with a gospel and a Holy Spirit head slap. Probably not, but, you know, that's what we do now. Some people do. And we look at them, what, what happens as they preach that there is salvation in Jesus and no one else. It says that 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. So would you turn with me to Acts 2, I want to read three verses, four verses, 44 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God for having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Holy Spirit, would you meet us here in this moment as you met your early church in that moment? And would you transform our hearts like you always do? The power of the gospel is not just that it transforms a person. The power of the gospel is that it transforms a people. Say it again. The power of the gospel is not just that it transforms you as a person. The power of the gospel is that it transforms us as a people. What have we been praying all of the COVID season? The Unite 714, 2 Chronicles 714. If who? My people who are called by what? My name. The power of the gospel is that it transforms a people. Paul says it like, th- uh, Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 2 9. You are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here's where it gets real good. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy. The early church, the believers, the 3,000, they were all together and they had all things in common. And let me tell you what, if we have one thing in common, that does not mean we have all things in common, right? If we have one thing in common, I have ears and an elephant has ears. I am not an elephant. I have one thing in common does not mean we have all things in common. But if we have the right thing in common, oh, come on, somebody. If we have the right thing in common, then we will have everything in common. And what Peter is saying is what we see in the Acts 2 church is that they who had not received mercy had now received mercy, which means what? We who were once not a people are now a people. Would you look around this room? What do we have in common? No, seriously. We got young, old. We got white, black, Asian. We got married. We got single. We got grandparents. We got kids. What do we have in common other than that? Jesus extended a hand to gr- of grace to us and saved us from our sins, has radically transformed our lives. And because you have that in common with me, brother, I tell you, we have a lot that we can talk about together, okay? If, if, if Jesus saw you in your weakness and in your sin and your, in your bad thought patterns and your bad habits and, 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 and all the mess that, that you once walked in, he did that for me too. And I could talk a lot about you, about the grace of God shown to me on my life. And I would love to hear about the grace of God shown to you over your life. And now that we have the right thing in common, we see the believers, we see our church, we have, we have all things in common because the power of the gospel is not just that it transforms a person, it does, but the power in the gospel is that it transforms the people of God. The second verse says this, we read. It says, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. I always thought this was so interesting. I remember doing a, uh, a study on this passage. I think I was in high school or college. Um, I've been in small groups for a long time. And um, I remember studying this passage and reading that verse and really wrestling with it. Because I had this thought that I didn't think I was allowed to say in church. I'm, I'm going to say it in church. But I used to think I couldn't say it. I said they were all together. They were all selling their possessions. They were distributing their goods as anyone had a need. And I thought, are Christians socialists? <laughs> like there's some pretty heavy dis- distribution of wealth principles right there. There's like, there's like a lot of things that I didn't think in America we were allowed to talk about. Uh, uh, but then as I matured as a believer, what I came to understand is that Christianity is not a form of government. Christianity informs how we govern. Okay, let me say that again for somebody in this season. Christianity is not the form of government. Christianity informs the way that we govern. Where else do we see the picture of all people who had all things in common, all in one place, all working together to meet the needs and take care of everybody in that space? The family, the family unit. Right? I'm at home with my kids. We live all together. Anybody been together with their family too long this season? I haven't. I love, I I, I haven't. Hey, Michelle. Um, (laughs) Right? All together in one place. And what do I do? Whatever my kids need, whatever my wife needs, we make it happen. We make it work. We shift funds around. We, 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 We sell the thing. We don't go on the trip. We save. We store. Whatever we do, because the family comes first. And we see that here. Because the call of Christ is a call to relationship. And relationship is the foundation of community, and our community is the picture of family. This is what we see in the Acts 2 church as the believers came together. They turned their eyes to Jesus, put their faith in Jesus as their Savior. They started a relationship with Jesus, which paved the the, the bedrock foundation of their community together as they grew into the family of God. This is what we have inherited The call to Christ is a call to relationship. Our relationship with Christ is the bedrock foundation of our community. And our community church is intended to be the picture of the redeemed family unit the redeemed family unit, the one the way that God first intended it to be, the one where we prefer one another over ourselves, the one where we humble ourselves before one another regularly, the one where we forgive with ease and give grace with ease, that picture where, where the older members mentor and teach and walk with the younger members, and the younger members go all crazy and energy and run out in the city and, and try to change the world at a moment's notice, and and there's grace and there's love and there's forgiveness. It's the picture of the redeemed family, the call of Christ, is a call to the family of God. This is, oh, I love this. This is who we are. This is what we do. When Pastor Corey says that, he's not just saying it because it sounds good, right? Church, this is who we are. This is what we do. He's serious. When there is a need in our community, what happens? Grace cares. When he sends a text message, I need diapers and wipes. Not for him, of course. Well, I need blankets and I need tissue paper and, and I need this. What happens? I kid you not, within an hour, my wife will attest to this, within the hour, you are showing up at this door with diapers and wipes and toilet paper and blankets and bags of food and this and that and the other. Because what? This is what we do. This is who we are. When there is a need, the church of God leads with compassion. We run into the city. We sell what we need to sell. We go buy what we need to buy. We give, and we give graciously and abundantly because the call of Christ is a call to our community, to our family. It changes the way that we work, the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we breathe. The call of Christ is bigger. This is who we are. We Come on, say it together. We embody Grace to meet the needs of our community. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 2. He says, You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens. You are members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We who have received the compassionate love of Jesus... Love and live reflecting the compassionate love of Jesus. And when we love and live and walk in that type of grace for one another, this beautiful picture of community of redeemed family, of the church of Christ in our community comes out full force, vibrant and alive. We who were once strangers and aliens are all now members of the household of God built on the cornerstone of Christ Jesus himself. I'm grateful for that. Then it says that day by day they attended the temple together. They came to church. They broke bread they ate their food with glad and generous hearts they praised god they had favor with all people and there's there's one thing in the bible that i'm really i'm really fascinated i'm really interested in it's the it's the it's the it's what's not there it's the moments that that aren't there in the bible it's it's these quiet unrecorded moments of history i mentioned i like to stay up late and usually what i like to do is i'll like have a bowl of cereal at like 10:30 it's not good for me it's okay and uh, and I remember a couple months back, I was doing just that, and this thought flashed through my mind. I'm just by myself in the kitchen. It's late, eating bowl of cereal, reading Twitter. I mean, my Bible, and um, and just praying um, deeply, meditating. And this thought flashed through my mind. Um, I wonder if like the disciples did this, like the apostles. Like, you think Paul ever like cooked some fish up late at night and just like like had a late night snack, like. Like, what are these in-between moments that occur in the Bible? Because we have a lot of big moments stretched over a three-year span, but you guys know they were, they were traveling between cities. They were sharing three meals a day with Jesus. Like, what were they talking about? Like, what was going on there? What was happening in the in-between moments? You know, we can think that the greatest moments of Jesus' ministry are these big public displays. The Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5. Or, or, or maybe when the one that sticks out to me is Jesus goes into the temple and he flips the tables. Oh, a big, big public moment. Or, or when he's doing battle with the Pharisees and they're trying to catch him in a trap and he's and he's flipping the language on him and he's confusing them. Or they're trapping him on a hill and he just walks through the crowd like these big moments. But what are the Gospels rich of with these individual on-the-way moments? a leper that Jesus reaches out and touches, a man, a lame man lying by a pool waiting for healing, a woman sitting on a well, a widow who just lost her daughter, a dinner party at Mary and Martha's house where they just sit and talk, and hundreds of thousands of quiet, unrecorded moments with the disciples at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner, on the way to and from. I am fascinated with those moments because the Christian life is not a call to big moments. It's a call to many little ones. The Christian life, we say it all the time, right? The one hour on Sunday is not going to be enough for you. We mean that. Why? Because the call of the Christian life is not to big moments. It's a call to many little ones. And I wonder for you, who is with you in the in-between moments, Who is with you Monday through Saturday? Who's walking with you and holding you accountable? Who's encouraging you? Who do you call for prayer? Who do you call when you need help moving? The other ones were sanctified. This one is honest, right? Who is with you in the in-between times? Jesus said, John 21, 12, come, let us eat breakfast. That's a verse in the Bible. Have you thought about that? Come, let us eat breakfast. Jesus, I made breakfast? And they sit and they talk with Jesus. And I believe that the strength of the church, the strength of the of the apostles, the disciples who then become the apostles, the founders of the church as we know it, I believe the, their strength was built not on the big moments of pro- public proclamation, but on the day-to-day intimacy with Jesus and with each other. That they had a band of brothers, a family that they walked with, that they knew, that knew them, that checked to them when they were wrong. I mean, how many of you know Peter had some accountability partners? That guy, didn't, they didn't help him much, but he had some, and we need that just like he does. Who is with you? In the in-between times, I want to tell this story real quick. I wanted to preach a whole sermon on this couple, but I just, they're so interesting to me. Um, but they're not Jesus, so they don't deserve a whole sermon. Um, uh, Paul comes to Corinth, and he meets a couple there named Priscilla and Aquila. They were, oh, come on. Somebody knows Priscilla and Aquila. They were exiled from Rome because they were Jewish, and so they, too, are now coming to Corinth. And they run into Paul, and they are tent makers. And Paul is also a tent maker. And it's just this little verse in Acts 18, 1 through 3, and it says that they welcomed Paul into their home because they shared an occupation. They were all tent makers. Not because Paul, I mean, Paul may have converted them, although it doesn't say that necessarily, but what do you think the bedrock of this couple's relationship with the apostle Paul was? What kind of knots do you like to use on tent pegs? I know nothing about tent camping. I know nothing. What type of, do you do like, you know, I don't know. Like their best sales maybe. I had a family of six. They bought a tent for me. What? That's crazy. I never sold a tent to a family. This is what they were talking about. Let's not over sanctify the early church apostles. They were people like you and I were, right? They had, Paul had a job. He was a tent maker. Priscilla and Aquila go with Paul then on his travels. In Ephesus, they meet a man named Apollos. Apollos was a great public speaker. He knew the scriptures, but he didn't know of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus Christ. Priscilla and Aquila trained him. Apollos reaches the level of Paul because when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, some of you prefer Paul. Some of you prefer Apollos. Some of you prefer Cephas. Priscilla and Aquila raise up a man Apollos, to the level of Paul. And then they have a church church in their home in Ephesus. They have a church in their home. Later they go back to Rome. And when Paul writes his letter to the Romans, he says this, I owe Priscilla and Aquila my thanks, as do all the Gentile churches. Because they were tent makers. And they had this in common with a man named Paul. And then they lived together, they welcomed him into their home, and they began this this journey of conversation and having meals together and sharing tent-making techniques, I guess, And, and, and this pursuit of love of Jesus, that over time, they turned into some of the most powerful apostles that aren't called apostles. They had churches in their homes, and by the end of Paul's life, he's saying, every Gentile church owes them their thanks. We're not meant to walk this alone. Let me get to my last point before I run out of time. We're called individually, but we're not called alone. Verse 47 talks about how the Lord added numbers and added to their numbers daily. What did he add? It's easy for us, American ch- church, we think about bulk Costco-sized numbers, Right? And this big old box of, of believers were added. Do you know how impersonal that is? What was that big bulk box of believers made up of? Individuals. Your pastors, I want you to know we obsess over names and not numbers. When we get a count at the end of the day of, of who responded to the gospel, I, we don't care the number. If we don't have your name, it means nothing. So, after the service online, when we say raise your hand and you raise your hand, we say, please click the connect button so that one of our pastors can connect with you. We deeply desire that because you are called individually, but you're not called alone. Yes, Jesus sees you individually, He knows your thoughts, He knows your fears. He knows your anxiety. He knows your deepest hurts. He knows the places where you need forgiveness. He knows the places that you carry shame. He knows the places where he's gifted you and called you and anointed you. He knows what keeps you up at night and he knows more than anything else that he loves you you and died for you and is just waiting to extend a hand of grace out to you that you might grab onto it so that he might pull you in to the body of Christ. Jesus sees you individually. He reaches you individually, but he does not call you to be alone. He calls you to be a part of something bigger than yourselves. And how do I know this? See, there's this thing a lot of people say, all I need is Jesus. I don't need the church. It's just me and Jesus. All I need is me and I don't need no church. I don't need no other people. I just need Jesus. Can I tell you how wrong that is? Not because I'm a pastor at a church. It's wrong because even Jesus, who was Jesus, didn't just live with Jesus. He called 12. I love the way that Mark says it. In uh, the Gospel of Mark 3, it says, he appointed 12 so that they might be with him. Wow. Amen. Wow. Amen. Come on. Yeah. He appointed 12 and named them apostles so they would be with him. When Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is sweating tears of blood because he knows what he has to do. And his heart is filled with anguish and grief. Does he go alone? No, he brings three with him and says, just wait with me and just pray with me. The one who could have gone alone chose not to. Who are we to think were any better than that or any different from that? He has called you to something greater than yourself. I have a friend I was talking to in the season. She's single. She lives alone. This was five months into COVID. And she said, Pastor, I have been living by myself for five months, and I have found out I don't like myself very much. <laughs> Anybody relate to that in the house of God? You're like, I have been alone for far too long. We think all I need is me and Jesus. And then you realize, yo, you and I are I, we're not that great, All those thoughts, all those things, they stayed. Now it's just us, me, talking to me. Jesus has called us to something greater. He modeled something greater for us. He thought that you were worth choosing. He thought the person to your left and to your right was worth choosing. He sees them as a dignified image bearer of God, worthy of the saving grace of God's hand. So yes, church, we are called. We are anointed. We have a purpose. We have a mission. We have a city to reach. We have a God to worship. You have destiny to fulfill. You have a family to mother and father. You have a job and a career path to excel at. You have things that you need to do in this world. You have to go. You've got to go. We don't want to stop progress in the kingdom because God has gifted you with different things than he's gifted me with. He's called you to places he hasn't called me to. He has given you talents, resources, whatever it is. Is that you need to go and fulfill, but the call of God today is you ought to go, but you ought not go alone. Let me pray for you, Father God. We love you, and Lord, we thank you that you have called us to something greater than ourselves. You have called us to the family of God, the body of believers. Although we are imperfect and lacking and we we offend and mess each other up and, and we let each other down, you have gifted us with the beautiful picture of the redeemed family. If we would trust and believe that there is salvation in Jesus and no other name but his name. Church, if you're in the room today or if you're watching online and you haven't given your life to Christ and you'd like to or your life doesn't look anything the way Christians ought to look in this moment and you want to get back on the right foundation, maybe rededicate your life to Christ or give it to him for the first time, would you throw your hand up in the room and if you're watching online in the chat, would you click the raise your hand button so we can identify you? I see that hand. After you click that raise your hand button in the chat, click the connect with us button. We desperately want to walk with you. If you raise your hand, would you pray this prayer with me? Father God, I confess that I'm a sinner in need of saving. And I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. I believe, God, that you raised him from the dead for, the salvation of my, uh, for my salvation and the forgiveness of my sins. And today, God, I'm making a decision to walk with you for the rest of my life. If you prayed that prayer and you're in the room, I want you to pull out your cell phone and text the words New Life to the phone number 25827. Form will pop up. We just want your name and email address, a way to connect with you. One of our pastors will touch base with you later today and get you connected into community and into discipleship that we can begin this journey of faith with you.